0: We're going to talk about the halachos that are relevant to Mikra Megillah on Purim. We begin with the following, and that is something that takes us to the halachos in Shulchan of Bidikas Chametz, which is on the night before Pesach. We all have an obligation to be bodek Chametz. Now, we're going to talk about that probably more as we get closer to Pesach, but it's important for all of us to be aware of the fact that if we are in a dorm, we have an obligation of doing Bidikas Chametz before we leave to go home for Pesach. We have an obligation to be bodek Chametz in all the places that we are responsible for. So why am I bringing in B'dikas Chametz when we're talking about Mikra Megillah? The answer is because the Shulchan Aruch says, in Hilchas B'dikas Yizoher, Kal Adam Shalo b'shum malacha velo yochal ad On On le'al B'dikas Chametz, one has to make sure that they do not get involved in any other activity and they do not get involved in eating a big meal, Ad she until they do the mitzvah of Bidik chametz, And the reason for that is because we have a concern. If somebody's going to get too involved in eating a big dinner, or somebody's going to get too involved in whatever they're working on, they're not going to be careful to do the Bidik chametz properly. They're going to forget about the mitzvah potentially. And therefore, Shulchan Aruch says we have to make sure that Bidik chametz is the priority. The same can be found with a Mishnah in Masech HaSukkah. The Mishnah says in Masech HaSukkah, Dafla Misha b'be'derach, somebody who is traveling on Sukis, lulav lito, and they did not have a lulav to shake, which is very possible. How am I supposed to have a lulav while I'm on the road? Says the Gemara, When you return back to your home after the trip is completed, yitol al you should shake the lulav an esrog on the table. Now, what does that mean? You should stand on the table and shake the lulav an esrog? Of course not. Why would the Gemara say such a thing? So Rashi explains, what does it mean that you should shake the lulav, yitol al sholchano, explains Rashi, im shachaf v'lo we're talking about somebody who's coming from a long trip and that person is exhausted and I haven't had a nice warm meal in a long time. And now I'm finally back home and the first thing I do when I get home is I sit down to a nice meal and the whole family's sitting around and then I say to myself, I just realized I forgot to shake the dalad minim. Somebody please remind me after we're done, says Rashi, no, Yital al-Sholchano, even if you went ahead and you started to eat a large meal and you haven't had a nice meal in a long time because you were traveling on the road and you didn't have that opportunity, still says Rashi Yitol al-Sholchano means you have to stop eating immediately, go do your mitzvah of Dalad Minim, and only afterward do you have the opportunity to continue on with your meal. And what you see from there once again, which is quoted in Shulchan Aruch and Hilchus Dalad Minim, tafresh nun beis is that when one has an obligation to perform a mitzvah of either B'dikas chametz, as we said, or the mitzvah of Dalad you are not supposed to be engaged in any other activity, which obviously would include eating a large meal, because we're concerned that a person will have carried away with that, and they will not be careful to make sure that they do the mitzvah that they are obligated to do, which is why the Gemara says in Maseche Shabbos, test that when a person has an obligation to Davin Mincha, you should not go to the barbershop at the time that it's time to Davin Mincha. Why? Because we're concerned that maybe if your haircut is going to take a long time, just uh, yesterday, if anybody watched the news, right, Sarah Netanyahu got stuck in the bar beauty parlor for uh, three hours, so you never know. You have to Davi And and uh, you may get stuck in the beauty parlor, so you have to make sure. It says you shouldn't go in to have a big meal. If it's the time to Davi first d'avimincha and then go ahead and do something else, um, and do your mitzvah. So, that is the Halacha. There's a very famous discussion with regards to Kiyos Shofar on Rosh Hashanah. So many of our shuls have a very long davening on Rosh Hashanah. And many of the shuls also have a practice that they're going to have a break in the middle of the davening to allow people to go home or to allow people to go into another room and have kiddush. And the question is, where did that come from? How can that even be? If we know the Shulchan Aruch says, by chametz, you're not allowed to eat before doing your mitzvah. And the same halacha applies by dal minim, that you're not allowed to do anything before you shake the dalad minim. So then how is it that I'm allowed to go ahead and have a kiddush on Rosh Hashanah before I do the mitzvah of Tchiyah shofar. That is the question that is raised in the Sefer Nishmas Avram. Nishmas Avram. Any medical students in here? Potential medical students? Pre-med? So you need to buy the Sefer Nishmas Avram. Nishmas Avram is a set of svarim in Hebrew. But it was then translated into English. It is the medical ethics Bible. It was written by Dr. Abraham. He went over everything with Reb Shlomo Zalman Arabach. So basically there are comments from Reb Shlomo Zalman Arabach on every single page, and the Tzitz Eliezer, and Rabbi Yashiv, and all the great kidolim of the last generation. Rabbi Vadi Yosef sent in a lot of comments. Really, it's a phenomenal work, which was then translated into English as well. And it really goes through many, many of the major issues. It's on Dalit Chalke Shulchan Aruch. So he basically goes through the Shulchan Aruch and points out anytime that you have something that's related to medicine, that one may be confronted with for a doctor or a medical professional, it's a really phenomenal and important set of svarim. Even if you're not a doctor and even if you're not in the medical field, it's a very good set of svarim to have anyway. So in that context, the Nishma am asked the following question in the name of Hr. Shlomo Zalman Arbach, where he says, Kava alai nafshi. This is something that pained me very much. Lahashir ala bima How am I allowed to leave the Sifrit Torah on the bima, right before Tkia Shofar, Everybody walks out of Shul, and we leave the Shul, in the middle of davening on Rosh Hashanah, to go have Kiddush. The essence of the day of Rosh Hashanah is to blow Shofar. So how can it be? You didn't yet do the Mitzvah, which the whole day is centered upon. And now you're walking out of Shul, leaving a Sefer Torah on the Bima, to go ahead and make sure that you have Kiddush? How can that be? So he says this is something... That he believes is very, very problematic. The Stechemed, who lived in the late 1800s, Stechemed was a great tzaddik and Talmud chacham by the name of Chaim Chiskiyom Medini. He passed away in 1905, and he was a shlucha which means he used to collect money for many of the Jews living in Israel. But as a result of that, he traveled around the world and he met all kinds of great people and he saw all kinds of amazing libraries. Oh. And he wrote an encyclopedia based on all the conversations that he had and the relationships that he built and all the Swarm that he read from all these different interesting communities that he visited. And that's what we have today, this amazing encyclopedia called the Stei So he put it together. And in the middle of that he says, Shammati, I heard... I heard that our brothers, the Ashkenazim, who are obviously different than we are, the Svartim, but he says, I heard the Ashkenazim on Rosh Hashanah after Shachris go home and they drink tea, and then they come back to hear the Tkiyah Shofar. I mean, are they crazy? So Halavai would only be that we would go home and drink a tea. We have a Kiddush with charcuterie boards. We make sure we have, you know, Kiddush the way it's supposed to be. You don't just have a Kiddush with tea. But this Dei says, I can't imagine, in the early 1900s, the Ashkenazim are going home to have tea before they make Kiddush. So this is a very questionable uh, minhag. Where does this come from, that we have the ability to make Kiddush on Rosh Hashanah before we go ahead and do the Mitzvah of tkiyah Shofar? In fact, the great gadol in America before Moshe Feinstein came onto the scene was... Anybody know who that was? Rav Henkin. Rav Henkin. Very impressive. You're not even an American. (laughs) How do you know that? Why do you know that? Okay, he was a great Tzaddik. So, There was an article that I read a number of years ago in the Mishpacha magazine where they had something on the occasion of the Yartzed of Rav Henkin. It was a fascinating, really amazing article by the people who are putting together his svarim. And they wrote basically the highlights of his life. I didn't really know much about his life. Very interesting article. And in there, I remember they quoted that there are three things that Rav Henkin gave smicha to a few talmidim. And he told them that your smicha is conditional. And if you break any of these three conditions, you're retroactively no longer a musmach of mine. We take away your smicha, your defrocked. So what was it? What were the three things? So one of them I forgot. I don't have the article anymore. I can't remember what it was. And the other two were the following. He said, anyone who has a shul and allows people to eat before blowing shofar on Rosh Hashanah is no longer a rabbi. That was number one. Number two, I said I forgot. And number three was, Anyone who's a rabbi and is makabel Shabbos even one minute earlier than the Zman is no longer considered to be having smicha from me. Why? He said, because the job of a rav is to be available to answer people's questions. Somebody gets home from work, they're preparing for Shabbos, right before Shabbos they're going to have all kinds of questions. So what, you're going to shut your phone off because you want to go make Shabbos early? But your job, your responsibility is to be there for the people. How can you be makabel Shabbos early when you have a responsibility to answer the questions of the people? I was so amazed by this. I was amazed by it. It just shows a certain perspective. Again, you accept it, you don't accept it. It's right, it's wrong. It doesn't make a difference. Just the perspective of somebody to, to have such a thought is amazing. But you see that this was obviously something that was very, very important to him. That we uh, that we make sure not to eat before Tkiah Shofar on Rosh Hashanah. So it's well known that the Talmudim of the Chafetz Chaim in Radin, the Yeshiva in Radin in the 1920s, used to have a break on Rosh Hashanah before they blew the shofar, and they all used to eat. So how could it be? That was under the Chafetz Chaim's auspices. How did he allow it? Mm. So the answer that many say is because the whole concern that we have of why you're not allowed to do any malacha or eat a big meal before doing a mitzvah is because we're concerned maybe you're going to get carried away and you're going to forget to do the B'dik Haschametz or you're going to forget to do the Nei Rosh Hanukkah or whatever it may be. However, over here, when you have the Amos Haddin of Rosh Hashanah, nobody's going to forget to go blow the shofar. Everybody knows this is a very serious time. It's a very serious day. And the only reason why we're going to take a break in the middle of davening and have Kiddush is in order to enable us to have more kabbana for the rest of davening. Davening is very long. We're going to be in shul until 2 or 3 o'clock. And in order to be able to have the requisite Kavana that is necessary and required for a person to be able to pay attention properly, we have to eat something. But we don't have a concern on Rosh Hashanah that somebody's going to get carried away and to forget about the mitzvah. So that is with regard to that. We know that there's a minhag that... A chassan and kala are supposed to fast on the day of their wedding. Did you fast on the day of your wedding? I started. You started, right? So it's not always so easy. So it's, don't feel bad. My father always says that um, that when David Lifshitz, who was the one of the Russian Yeshiva in NYU, every time he used to come to a wedding, first thing he did before he wished Mazel tov to anyone, he would walk straight up to the kala and say, Did you eat anything today? Don't fast. Medel, you're going to get sick terrible thing, and even though there's a minute to fast, but I'm nervous about you, and he used to go bring her a drink, and something to eat, okay, so it's very sweet, so don't feel bad. If her double lipschitz was at your wedding, you wouldn't have fasted either. But the minute generally is that a chassan and kala are supposed to fast. I actually got a shayla this morning, there's a kala getting married in our community, to a svardi, and she wanted to know whether or not she should fast. I said, look, I'm not familiar with the svardi I don't know what your husband does, but the truth is, he's not yet your husband, so I'm not sure that you should be following his ben hakim. So she said, "You're right." So I said, "Look." She writes back to me that her chassan, her husband to be, is not fasting because the Sfaradim apparently do not have this minhag. So I said to her, "Is it hard for you to fast? Are you an easy faster or not?" She said, "Actually, I'm a very good faster." So I said, "So then you should." The reason why generally we assume that a chassan and caller are supposed to fast is because it's assumed that it's a yom achilas avonos. So just like on Yom Kippur we fast, so, so too on the yom achupah we fast. However, this techemet quotes in the name of some rishonim. I think it's the Rokach that he quotes. That no, that's not the reason why we fast on the day of a Hasana. The reason why we fast is because you have a mitzvah that you need to do. And the same way you're not allowed to eat a big meal before doing the mitzvah of Tkiyash Shofar, or doing the mitzvah of Adikash Hametz, or anything else, so too you're not allowed to eat before doing the mitzvah of getting married. And therefore you should fast during the day. Now, it's a little shaky of a reason, because let's say a person's getting married at night. I, I don't know. There's a, there are different different things to think about. Many different reasons that are given why one would fast. But that's a interesting one that I saw in this tehemet. Yes. So would we say that the mitzvah of fasting or the halafa fasting would be only for the man who has the mitzvah to get married? The girl. You have a mitzvah to get married. Every woman has a mitzvah to get married. You may not have a mitzvah puruvu, but you have a mitzvah to get married. Right? Uh-huh. I think so. Mitzvah You should all be okay. okay, so it should be of no surprise that the Shulchan Aruch writes when it comes to the mitzvah of Hadlakas Neiros Chanuka that the same applies. A person is not allowed to be involved in anything else and there the Shulchan Aruch adds you're not even allowed to learn. Learning, of course, Talmud Torah K'neged Kulam sounds wonderful. However, there's a time and place for everything. Talmud Torah K'neged Kulam is not at the time when you're supposed to be observing a mitzvah. And if you're going to get too involved in learning, you're not going to be focused on the mitzvah of Hadlachas Neiros Chanuka, which is why the Ramah says that on Leil Purim or for that matter in the morning of Purim as well, you're not supposed to eat anything before you go ahead and do the mitzvah of Now, the problem is that we have Tainus Esther that leads into, into Micr So it's very hard. We've been fasting a whole day. And then we're going to go straight from that into Micr Now, it happens to be in the United States at this time of the year. It's not such a long fast. The fast only begins probably at 5 o'clock. It's going to end. The Shkia now is probably 5.15 or whatever. You're going to be able to eat at 6.15. Right when you're finished with the Megillah, it's not so bad. But when I was in Australia last year, this time of the year, it's the opposite. Right, right. So what time does the sun set by you this, these these days? Right, I know that. Oh. What time does um, in the summertime? Late. Summertime is now. I haven't been home for a while, Rabbi, but I, I think it's like around eight, nine. But summertime is now. Yes. Right, correct, okay. (laughs) So eight or nine. So imagine, so you're going to be fasting the whole day, the shkia is not until 8.30, the sunset is not until 8.30, and then you're not going to be able to eat until you get home. So that's not so easy. So the Ramah says, the truth is, this really should follow the same sequence of everything else we described until now. However, if a person is not feeling well, then of course, they should break their fast after sunset, after it says, after the stars come out, and they should go and have something light to eat or drink in order to be able to pay attention during the Mikra Megillah. But again, if a person does not have to do that, then of course this should follow the same halacha that we do uh, normally by any other mitzvah. Now, we move on to the next issue with regard to Mikra Megillah, and that is, where should one choose to hear the Megillah? So you'll say, what does that mean? Whose business is it where I choose to go hear the Megillah? I can go wherever I want. So this is a very important to understand the issue. We have to really give a little bit of background, which goes as follows. There is a halacha, Berov Am Hadras Melech. Berov Am Hadras Melech means not clear exactly what it means because it means three different things in three different suyas in the Gemara. It doesn't always mean the same thing. B'rova Madras Melech number one is a Gemara Maseches Psachim Samach where the Gemara tells us the following. There used to be many, many people offering Karbanos on Erev Pesach in the Beis HaMikdash. Imagine. Millions of Jews came from all over the world. Everybody has to offer a Karban Pesach in a very short span of time. It has to be on Erev Pesach in the afternoon before the sunset after Mincha time a very short span of time. So how are we going to do this efficiently? Says the Gemara, they had an assembly line. They had a line of Kohanim, where one was standing all the way by the Mizbeach, and there was a line following behind him all the way back to where the people were standing, and everybody would pass the bucket of blood that needed to be poured onto the Mizbeach from one to the next and the next and the next. Then they had a line going back, and they used to pass the bucket back so that this circle can keep going back and forth. That's the way they did it. It was the most efficient way to do it. Aside from the efficiency, says the Gemara, it was a beautiful thing to do. Why? Because, When we have more people involved in the fulfillment of a mitzvah, and you're going to engage more people to do different components of that mitzvah, that elevates the mitzvah. It shows we're all excited to be involved in something. You ever go to a bris, and you notice that sometimes, when they're trying to make up kibudim, you ever been to one of those? No? Sometimes you're at a bris and like they wanted to, like this grandfather and this uncle and this one and this or whatever. So like, like okay, please come up and we're going to pass the baby to you. You ever seen this? And then they pass the baby to another, at your brother's bris, they did this. Like, like 10 people, right? So like, pass it to this one, pass it to the next one. So what's that all about? What are we just trying to make people feel good? The answer is it's based on this. That the more people who are involved in fulfilling a mitzvah or having some kind of piece of it, it shows that we're all so excited to be a part of it. It elevates the mitzvah because it shows... That this is something that's really important to us. And we don't just want to delegate it to one person. We want to all get a piece of the action. So that's what it means. Berovam ha'trasmelech in that context means when I have a mitzvah that needs to be done, why not spread it around and let many people take one piece of that observance of the mitzvah. That's the first time that we have Berovam ha'trasmelech. The second time we have it is a totally different context. The Gemara Masechus Brachas D'Afnun Gimel talks about when you have many people sitting together in a room. And everybody has to make havdala. Shabbos just ended. And we all have to make Havdalah. So what should we do? Says the Gemara, we should have one person make Abdullah on behalf of everyone. And we're all going to listen attentively and be yotzei the Mitzvah along with that one person. Why? Berovam What does that mean? That means when each of us has a private obligation to do a Mitzvah. I have to do something and you have to do something. And everybody else in the room also has to do the same thing. So instead of having each person sectioned off on their own and doing something privately, why not all gang, gang up together? Not gang up, but why not all... I don't know what the right word is. Why not all collaborate and have one person... What was your word? Probably a better one. No, join. Come together. join, thank you. Why not all join together and then have one person do the mitzvah on behalf of everyone? That's the Rav Because now we're coming before HaKadosh Baruch Hu with a thousand people in the room instead of me coming by myself. If I come by myself, who am I? I'm a nobody. If I come with a thousand other people, it's much more chashev, and that is Barovam Hadras Melech. Now, based on that, the Magan Avram writes in Hilchos Mikra Megillah, based on a Gemara. The Gemara says, Mevatlin Talmud Torah L'shmoa Mikra Megillah, which first of all is a fascinating statement. When I read the Megillah, let's say I'm bored tonight. Come home, let's say. That's a big let's say. Let's say I'm bored tonight and I have absolutely nothing to do. But I'm a really spiritual person. I love to learn. But I don't have a head to learn. I don't have a head to learn something complicated. So I'm going to pull out the Megillah Sester and just start reading the words. Am I in fulfillment to the midst of the mitzvah of Tamil Torah? Mm-hmm. No? You don't think so? I don't think so, no. What? No. Really? Why not? So there's a mitzvah that you're supposed to go over the parsha every week, right? Yeah. So tonight, I open up my chumash and I just start reading through the psukim. And then, the second time around, I'm going to do with Rashi, other things, the Ramban, and the Rachaim, of course, all the Mepharshim. First time around, I'm just flying through the P'sukim. Am I in fulfillment of the Mitzvah of Talmud Torah? I don't know. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Right? Why not? Of course I would be. So this Gemara is very strange. The Gemara says in Masechus Megillah, listen to the words, "Mevatlin Talmud Torah, Shmoa Mikra What does that mean? What does it mean? Mevatlin tal the megillah means. If I'm in the middle of giving a public shear and we're all sitting here learning together, and then somebody looks at the clock and says, "Oh, by the way, tonight is Purim," we all forgot. We got to go listen to the megillah. Somebody else calls out and says, "Excuse me, we're in the middle of learning. We'll go learn. We'll go hear the megillah soon. Why should we stop learning to go hear the megillah?" Says the Gemara, mevatlin Talmud Torah, We're going to stop the Shear, We're going to stop the learning in order to go do the mitzvah of mikram megillah. What's the implication of that? That it isn't, means if you say we're going to be mevatal Torah to go do something else, that means the something else is not considered learning Torah. Otherwise it wouldn't be called mevatal and Torah. You would say, we stop doing this Torah in order to do another Torah. But that's not what it says. The Gemara says we stop learning Torah because we want to do the Mitzvah Mikramigillah, which obviously is not considered learning Torah. How can that be? Why not? So that's a very famous question. I hope to talk about it next week at, at some point in one of my shirim. But that's a very famous question. If I have the ability to learn Torah b'echus, I have the ability to learn Torah deeply, and I choose to spend my time, instead of delving into the Torah and really understanding it, I choose to sit there with the Chumash, just flip through the pages and read P'sukim and not really understand them well. There are some Aharon and Musa, you see from this Gemara, that that's called Bital Torah. The fact that I had the ability to learn Torah with a depth, and instead of learning with a depth, I learn with a superficiality, and I don't understand what I'm saying, or it's not as deep as it should have been, that's maybe called Bitto Torah. How do you know that? You know that from this Gemara. Because this Gemara is saying, if we're in the middle of a she'er and we're learning Torah, something serious, then we have to stop learning Torah in order to go hear the Megillah. Yeah, but if I go hear the Megillah, it's still going to be learning Torah, because I'm reading Sukkim. The answer is no, because you gave up on the opportunity to learn Torah with a deep understanding to go hear the Megillah that's being read, which is just something superficial. Okay, if you missed that, it's great. Tune back in. <laughs> now we'll continue on. Says the Manganavra, that Gemara teaches us, the that Gemara teaches us that we have to stop the public shear and go to the big shul to hear the Megillah. And so too, the Mishnaburah writes, if I have two shuls in my neighborhood, one of them is a massive shul and has tons of people who are going to be coming together to read the Megillah, and one of them is a small minion where I'm going to be with just a couple of people and that's it, says the Mishnah Berurah, you have to go to the bigger shul because, I have an opportunity to do a mitzvah where all of us have a private obligation. I have to lay in the Megillah and you have to lay in the Megillah. We have a hundred people who have to lay in the Megillah. So should we all section off and do it by ourselves? Or should we all come together and do it at one time with one person doing the mitzvah on behalf of all of us? Says the Avram, You have to go to the place where you're going to have the maximum amount of people who are going to do the mitzvah together. That is the greatest enhancement of the mitzvah. So although house binyanim are very sweet and we make them, now there's a question, why do we do it, right? So if you're doing it, like there's someone in our community who makes a house every year on Purim morning, he does it so that all the mothers who have young children who aren't going to be able to go to shul because the kids are going to disturb everybody... He makes this minion at ten o'clock in the morning. They leave the kids home with the husband after he gets home from shul, and he does a mikra megillah just for the women in order to be able to give them an opportunity to hear the megillah how else are they gonna do it? So there's a question: why are you doing the separate minion? If you're doing it just because you feel, oh, we need to have our own thing and we don't want to be a part of everyone, that's not correct. The Mogan Avram says, based on the Gemara, the Rova Madras would dictate that we should go to the main shul, come together with many other people, and do the mitzvah as one. That would be the greatest enhancement of the mitzvah possible. So that is a second application of Barovam Hadras Melech. The third place where the Gemara talks about it, which is totally separate, is the Gemara says that when you have the Kohen Gadol on Yom HaKippurim, who the Torah outlines exactly what he's supposed to do, so it says he has to do kriyas hapsukim, he has to read a number of psukim from the Chumash. So in that situation, the Gemara says that the Kohen Gadol should do it in front of as many people as possible on the Beis HaMikdash. Why? So from there you learn that when I have a mitzvah that I have to do personally, even if it has nothing to do with anyone else, to do it in front of other people will also be an enhancement of my own personal mitzvah because of berovam Hadras Melech. And because of this idea, the Gemara says, Mivatlin avodash bebeis ha You have Kohanim working in the Beis ha And now it's Purim. We don't stop the avodah on Purim. They still have to do avodah. Says the Gemara, you're going to stop the Kohanim from doing the Avodah Ampurim in order to go to the big shul in Yerushalayim to be able to hear the Megillah. But what do you mean? We have people here in the Beis HaMikdash who know how to lay in the Megillah. Why should I take off from my job of servicing at Baruch Hu in the Beis HaMikdash to go lay in the Megillah in the great synagogue in Yerushalayim? Why should I do that? The answer is because there are more people in there than there are going to be in the Beis HaMikdash. And therefore we assume Biroham Hadras would take priority and it would be something that we should prefer over the other option of staying in the Beis HaMikdash, doing the Avodah, and having our own private minion here. Okay? Okay. So now, we haven't eaten before the Megillah. We made sure that we found the right shul. question now is, who is obligated in the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah? Now, I should have said that the general rule is, Nashim, women, should not have an obligation, because this is a mitzvah sasei man grama. This certainly is something that is time-bound. But yet, as we know, the Gemara says, men and women both share the obligation of Mikram Megillah. Why is that? Says the Gemara Masechus Megillah, this is one of the unusual cases where we say women share an obligation because, Af hayu we assume that women were just as equally involved in the miracle, if not equally involved, even more involved. Esther HaMalka is the one who facilitated the whole miracle. So it's not just that they were involved in the Hashmi, the HaRugula Abed, and they were saved just like everybody else was saved. Men were saved, women were saved, children, so everyone has to lay in the Megillah. No, it's more than that. It's that Esther was the main protagonist of the whole story. And therefore, of course, women share the obligation of Mikra Megillah with men, and they would have to make sure that they do the Megillah every year on Purim as well. Now, when is my obligation to read the Megillah? The Gemara says we have a dual obligation. Number one, I have to read the Megillah, Balayla. And then I have to be Lishano Sabayom. Bayom. I have to read the Megillah at night. And I have to then repeat the Megillah during the day. Just because somebody went to shul at night does not fulfill their obligation of hearing the Megillah during the day. There are two different obligations that we have. One to lay in the Megillah at night. One to lay in the Megillah during the day. Now, many of us have very busy schedules on Purim, especially if you're part of a family and you're going to have younger siblings or you're going to have young children and you have to go visiting their friends and their teachers and their families and whoever it might be. And you have a lot of running around to do. So some people want to get off to a start earlier. And the question is, how early are you able to do the mitzvah mikra Megillah? That is a very good question. Especially now, when the sun rises pretty late. I go to Vasikin these days. Vasikin starts at 6.05. It's not so not so early, right? So uh, the sun only rises, I think, at 6.35. So when am I able to do the mitzvah of Mikar Megillah on Purim? That is a very important question. The Gemara says in Maseches Megillah Dafchaf. That when we have the mitzvah of Mikramegillah, and we have the mitzvah of brismila or anything else that has to be done specifically during the day, the halacha is, you're not supposed to start until Hama, which means until the sun has risen. Not dawn. Dawn is before that. Until the sun has risen. However, the Mishnah then ends off, qualifies the statement and says, V'kulan Misha'alu, Misha'ala hashachar kasher if a person does do it from Alosa HaShachar, which is 72 minutes before the sun rises, it's when you see when you see that the, um, not that the sun is on the horizon, that's Neitzah Hama, but Alosa HaShachar is when you start to see that colors are changing in the sky. So that is already considered to be Alosa HaShachar. So in a case like that, if a person, B'dieved, if a person did their mitzvah bayom during that interim period, you would say that B'dieved is considered to be a good enough mitzvah. Now, why do we have to wait until Hanetz When is a day? Is a day already when the sun... Is a day only once the sun rises on the horizon? Or do you say it's already sun from Alos Shachar? Which one is it? Over here, the Gemara seems to say that you're supposed to wait until Nates, but if you did it beforehand, it's okay. So so, so is a day or is not day? If it's day, then why can't I do it? So Rashi says, the truth is, Kedesh Sheyetzei Misafik Layla. Rashi says it's very hard to tell what time exactly it is. They didn't have watches. So Rashi says, how are you supposed to know what time it is? So the greatest way to know what time it is is if you look outside and you see that the sun is out on the horizon. Then you know it's day. But any time before then, says Rashi, you're not really supposed to do your mitzvah then because it may not be daytime yet. So based on that, the Stechamed writes, maybe that's the reason why the Stechamed writes that there were many communities where they didn't have enough lulav meneserogim for every person to have their own. So they used to have one communal lulav esrog, One communal lulav esrog, And everyone used to wait on a long line to be able to have an opportunity to shake it. Now imagine, you have 500 people in a community. Everybody needs to shake the lulav esrog, So it's going to take a lot of time. So what do we do? So they used to line up early in the morning already. Mr. says they lined up already before the sun came out. But then he says, what good is that? You're lining up before the sun comes out. It's not daytime yet. So how can you do your mitzvah? I you understand you want to shake the Dalaminim, but how can you do the mitzvah? He says, I'll tell you why. They did it because this is not like the problem of Rashi. Rashi says, why do you have to wait generally to do a mitzvah by Yom? Why do you have to wait until the sun is on the horizon, is over the horizon where you can see it? That's Kadeshi Yetzin Yitzhak Lailah. Because we're not sure. Is it really day yet? Is it not? Once you see the sun over the horizon, you know that now it's daytime. But now, says the Stechame, that we all have watches, now that we have atomic clocks, now that we know exactly what time and what second and what minute it is, so maybe the whole halacha doesn't apply. Maybe you can start doing all your mitzvah sayyom 72 minutes before Haneit Zachama. Maybe the whole nature of the halacha should change. And that's the way he defends the custom of those who used to line up so early in the day before the sun actually rose to shake the Dalaminim. How can they do such a thing? The answer is why not? Why shouldn't they do such a thing? What's the problem? They all have watches, they know what time it is, and there's no concern at all. So that's what the Steichamed writes. However, this is not the conventional opinion at all. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein writes that this is not the accepted opinion. And he says it would seem that in general we try to wait until Hanayi to do any mitzvah that has to be done during the day. So that's Lechathchidah what we should do as well. The Shulchan Aruch says in Tafresh Pei that when we lay in the Megillah on Purim it should really be done not from Alos HaShachah but rather from Neitzachama, uh, for from when the sun is over the horizon. Because women are obligated to hear the Megillah, we sometimes have gatherings in people's homes, as we said, for only women to hear the Megillah themselves. And uh, there is a very interesting question that comes up, a big discussion in the Ramah and the Vilnagon and the Prichadash and other Achronim. What bracha should be recited when you're having a Megillah that's read only for women? So if you have a man who's being Yotzei as well, as we know, when you lay in the Megillah, there are three brachas that are recited. first bracha is HaMitzvah. We make a bracha Al Mikra Megillah. That's uh, the same bracha we would make when we're shaking Lulav and we're lighting the Hanukkah candles. So we make a bracha Megillah. Then we make a second bracha of Sha'as nisim. The bracha of Sha'as nisim is thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the great miracle of Purim. And the third bracha that we recite is Shechiyanu. We recite Shechiyanu because this is a mitzvah This is a mitzvah that comes infrequently. It's something that we do only once a year. And therefore we make a special extra bracha of Shechiyanu. So do we recite a Shechiyanu at night and during the day? If we just lay in the Megillah at night, would we say a Shechiyanu during the day as well? Anyone ever been to shul? So what do we do? The answer is you're both right. Shulchan Aruch says, how can you make a Shekhyyanu during the day if you just made a Shekhyyanu at night? We just did the mitzvah last night, so why would you make a Shekhyyanu today? And the Ramah disagrees, and he says, no, this is two different Chayuven. Last night we made a Shekhyyanu. Today we're going to do the mitzvah again, we're going to say a separate Shekhyyanu, because we haven't done this mitzvah since last year on Purim Day. It's a separate chiyot. And therefore, we say Shecheyano two times. When is another time when we have the same Shailah? same achlokas between the Mecham and the Ramah? Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah. We blow the show for the first day, Rosh Hashanah, we say Shecheyano. What about the second day? How can you say Shecheyano? So that's why the Mishnabruah says when it comes to Purim, when you're in shul on, or wherever you're going to lay in the Megillah, on Purim day, we make a brach of Shecheyano. But before we make the brach of Shekhayana, we make an announcement and we tell everybody... Have in mind with the brach of Shecheyanu that it should also count for the other mitzvah Hayom, which are Mishlachmanos, Matanos Levionim, Suda Spurim. We're supposed to say Shecheyanu on everything, and this is going to count for all of that. The reason why we make that announcement is because there is a machlokis, are we shown on whether you're supposed to say Shecheyanu a second time in the first place? It's not clear that you're supposed to do it. And therefore, if we're going to do it anyway, so we say that it should really count for the other things that we did not do last night, which is the Matanos L'avionim, Mishlach Mishlachmanos, and Suda Spurim. You had a question? Who said it has to be a full year later? It says, A mitzvah a mitzvah that comes periodically. So, some people make a mistake. They think it means a mitzvah that we do for the first time. And that's a big question. I got a Shiloh recently from a young woman who was getting married, going to the mikveh for the first time right before her wedding. She was so excited. And she said, I'm going to the mikveh for the first time. Do I make a brach of Shechian when I go to the mikveh? It's a great question. The great Shiloh. I got another Shiloh from a young woman who was baking challah for the first time. She had just gotten married. She was really excited to bake challah for the first time. Not that baking challah has anything to do with getting married, but she, uh, she was excited to do that. I mean, does it? Tell us. I don't know. No. You bake challah before and after, or you haven't started yet? Before and not after. That. Before and not after. You got busy. You're busy with good things. So, um, so there was a young woman who got married, and she wanted to start baking challah, and she was so excited. It's going to be the first time in her life that she ever did the mitzvah of her freshest challah. So she wanted to know, should I make the brach of Shekheyanu the first time that I do the hafresh challah in my life? That's a really great question. It happens to be some machlokus the rama and the shach in Hilchos Kisei Hadam in Yerodeah. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever learned the halachas of Kisei Adam, and that's exactly why it's a there. Because Kisei Adam is one of those mitzvahs that we almost never have the opportunity to observe or fulfill. And the question there that comes up is, when I do have the mitzvah of Kisei Adam, for example, anybody know? When is there a time when people in the community have an opportunity to do kise Adam? Kaparos. Kaparos. That's when it comes up. Once a year. When else are you around the slaughterhouse when you're shechting chickens, right? Usually we don't hang out in such places. So, very often, there are many communities that do Kaparos, and they don't just do Kaparos, they also slaughter the animal. So then you have the opportunity to do kiseadam, Adam, and it may just very well be the first time in your life, or the first time in a very long time, that you're doing a mitzvah of Kisei Adam. So do I, do, do I make a Shechayana when I'm doing a mitzvah for the first time in my life? Or is it only when I'm doing a mitzvah that is a mitzvah haba mizman something that's calendaric? The general minhag that we follow is that of the Shach, I believe, which is that you only say Shechayana when it's a mitzvah haba mizman l'zman. Not when you do a mitzvah for the first time, but rather when you're doing a mitzvah that comes around periodically. And the reason why I say Shechayana then is because I thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. the same way I had the opportunity last year on Pesach to drink the Dalat Kosos. I thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for allowing me to be healthy and now end up in a position where I'm able to do it again in a healthy way. That's why I say Shekhi So that's why it's generally limited to something that is a mitzvah because it has to do with the fact that I survived a whole other season, a whole other year to now be back in the position where I have the opportunity to do the mitzvah once again. And that's what I thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for. As we know, on the night of Purim, after we finish landing the Megillah, we also make a bracha afterward. So there's a bracha before, as we said, Shecheyanu, Amliker Megillah, and Sha'asanisim After the Megillah is over, we make a bracha, HaRav es rivenu bahadanas it's a whole paragraph that we say. The Gemara does say that that bracha should only be said Ba'asara, should only be said with ten people, because that is really a Persume Nisa. We're thanking HaKadosh Baruch Hu for, now that we just finished the story of the Megillah, we're pointing out, this was an amazing story. And we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for allowing us to have the opportunity to retell the story and to re-experience that miracle once again. That's what that bracha is all about. So there's a major discussion in Rabbi Vady Yosef's tshuva whether or not we should assume that if you only have a minion of women who are doing Megillah together, would they recite the bracha? When it says that you need to have Nisa, that you need to have a crowd together making the bracha of Haravas Rivenu, does that mean an actual minion? Just like we would require to say Barhu or to do Kriyas HaTorah? Or would you say, no, it doesn't mean specifically a halachic minion, it means a group of people. In order to do the mitzvah, pursue a Nisa, in order to publicize a miracle, what does it matter if it's 10 men or 10 women? As long as you have 10 people, 10 individuals together, it shouldn't make a difference. We should have the opportunity to make the bracha in order to be able to publicize the miracle. That is the big, big question that Avadi Yosef deals with. In the end, he comes to the conclusion that. Even ten women would be able to say "Haravis Rivenu" as well. My father disagrees, but that is a major, major point of dispute: whether or not we're supposed to say that bracha when we have only a group of women that do not have any men together with them. A very important halacha to be aware of is: Shulchan Aruch says you're not allowed to talk until after the Megillah is finished, and not just after the Megillah is finished, after the bracha, after the Megillah is finished. And this is a common mistake that we find that sometimes people begin to talk the minute that the Balkoray is finished while they're rolling up the Megillah, but they should remember, that, as the Shulchan Aruch says, that you're also supposed to wait until after the bracha is recited, after the Mikra Megillah has completed. What if a person is following in shul, and they are listening as the Megillah is being read, but they miss some words along the way because somebody in front of them is making noise. So what would you do? What would you do, the is, You catch up in your own fumish, right? You catch up in whatever Megillah you're holding, you catch up to the balkorih. But doesn't that mean that I'm now deficient in my Mikra Megillah because it means that there's part of the Megillah that I have not read from a scroll. So how does that work? So the Gemara says that as long as Kara Ruba Mitoch as long as I read most of the Megillah from the written scroll, that would be good enough. And if I just miss a little bit here and there and I read it and I make it up with my own reading, that would be sufficient. That does not mean if I miss some of the words and I don't hear them at all, I'm yotze the mitzvah. So if I come into shul late and I miss the whole first parak, I missed the whole first paragraph of the Megillah. That would be something that would disqualify my mitzvah. You have to go to a later minion. You got to hear Megillah again, or you can quickly say the brachas, catch up, and then follow up with wherever the Bal Koray is up to. But that's hard to do if you're a parak behind. It's not so easy. So it's just uh, something important to keep in mind. Let me just close with the following thought, and that is, the Vilna writes. That the Gemara tells us, lemafreya lo yatsa." Somebody who reads the Megillah out of order is not a fulfillment of the mitzvah. What does that mean? It Means if I read the fourth chapter of the Megillah before the second, the whole story is not going to make sense. It's a sequence. When you have the whole story together and you have it in the proper sequence, then it all makes sense and it all matches up, and I can really appreciate the miracle. But if I'm going to start reading it limafreya, if I'm going to start reading it out of the ordinary order. That would be something that would really take away from my appreciation of the entire miracle and the entire story. And therefore the Gemara says, I'm not in fulfillment of the mitzvah if that is what I do. The Vilnagon added to that. And the Vilnagon said, it doesn't only mean Hakori lemafreya that if I have one of the chapters read out of order, that would be a problem. But beyond that, it means something else. And that is, if when I read the Megillah, I believe that this is a story of lemafreya, I believe that this is a story of thousands of years ago. And I don't really appreciate and understand that this is the story of today. That this is something that makes a major difference in my life, that this is something that is retold and reenacted and replayed by Yamim Ahim Baziman Ezekiel. Look at the miracle of the Jewish people. Look how many miracles we have survived. Look how many miracles we have experienced as a people. If when you go through a Purim, you don't realize that that story is not just from an old time, but now it's being relived as well, lo Yatsa. you have missed the entire experience of what Purim is supposed to be about. And this is what we ask our Baruch Hu. The same way HaKadosh Baruch Hu did great miracles for our ancestors so many thousands of years ago, we ask that the Ribbonu Shalom should once again bring us to a time when we have the opportunity to see miracles, to experience them, to be able to see the Yad Hashem that is so clearly and obviously there for us, to bring a Yeshua, to bring salvation to the Jewish people, to the entire world, We're living through very, very dangerous and difficult times all over the world. And it's an opportunity for us, this Purim, to ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu and He should be able to overturn all of the problems that face the Jewish people. And there are so many. And I was so moved. There's a woman in Eretz Yisrael, her name is Yafa Ariel. Yafa Ariel lost her daughter, Halel Ariel, a couple of years ago. She was 13 years old. I don't know if you remember the story. She was in her bed in in, uh, Hebron. And a terrorist broke into their house. Their house is on the border. Shot the daughter in her bed. The last day of school, she was up late the night before at a ballet that she was doing. Terrible story. Anyway, I was talking to her this week about something to the mother. And, um, and she made a comment to me, which made me shudder. You know, she said, when was the last time that two brothers were killed in a terror attack? So unusual. So she said, three weeks ago, two young children, two young brothers from the Palais family were killed. Only two weeks later, Two brothers from the Yaniv family were killed from Shomron, from Harbracha. He said, "Maybe, just maybe, Hashem is trying to tell us that we just don't act like brothers. Maybe He's reminding all of us that it's time to remind ourselves to act like brothers. And this really is what Purim is all about: Manos Ish This is what we're here for. We're here to try to remind ourselves that we are only a Machzis Hashechel. Right? We read Parsh Shlach last week. We are only a Machzis ha-shekel. And we need to rely on each other for so many different things. And you look what's going on in Eretz Yisrael and you see such a melchemet achim. And you see such a terrible time where Jews are turning on each other and Jews are hating each other and Jews are protesting against one another. It's so painful to watch when it's an opportunity for us to ask HaKadosh Baruch I don't know how this is all going to work out. I'm not sure how it's going to be figured out. It seems like a lot needs to be done. But it's an opportunity for us to ask the Ribband Sha'Allah <laughs> a If the Rebundusha was able to perform the great miracles in the days of the Purim story, then whatever we're facing today is small potatoes to that. And Akkadish Baruch who should have the ability to show us those great miracles the same way he did in the days of our ancestors and Imir Hashem, We should have Sasam simcha la yehudim. We have Achbahat Salah Yamada and we should all have a wonderful celebration of Purim.